Hi guys, welcome to Heart to Talk the Podcast. I am your host, Teresa Caesar, and you are tuned in to episode 18. Your mind, emotions, and body are instruments, and the way you align and tune them determines how well you play life. Harbhajan Singh Yogi. Everyone wants to be healthy, live long, and age gracefully, right? Well, today's guest, Georgetta Dolphin, is here to teach us all about that. She is a PhD microbiologist turned health coach and is extremely passionate about teaching people how to transform their health by combining her cutting-edge nutritional advice and lifestyle habits that empower you to live an optimal life. She will share with us how the secret sauce to longevity is determined by your metabolic health and microbial DNA. Don't worry, I know that sounds a little complicated if you're unfamiliar with those terms, but I promise this is gonna land and you will learn a lot. I bring to you my conversation with the brilliant Georgetta Dolphin. I'm a PhD scientist, nerd, microbiologist, and I focus on aging, metabolic health, wellness, preventative care, and reversal of conditions. And you're going to ask me, what conditions? Migraines, diabetes, blood pressure, bloats, you name it. It can all be reversed and rebalanced, and that's what people don't understand. You can rebalance things again. But it takes years. It's not a quick fix. It's not like clicking on Amazon Prime and in one or two days it's there. It really takes years. And that's what people don't understand. They want to lose weight within three months. I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to work on getting rid of your inflammation first. And then you lose weight. So by being a microbiologist, you'll say, what does a microbiologist have to do with nutrition, with inflammation? What if I tell you you're more microbes, more microbial DNA than you're human? Wow. So the microbes in us, on us, dictate everything. They dictate our sleep, our cravings. Sometimes people cannot get off this sugar roller coaster train for years. It's the microbes. You get the wrong microbes sitting around making you crave certain things. So I like to look at everything out there through a microbial lens. Is it good or bad for our microbes? I like to look at it through a research lens. I mean, I dig on PubMed daily couple hours around because I want to see the latest publications you know I don't want to just jump on the fad train for oh let's do keto oh let's do that no I want to see what the research out there says and then the third thing I like to look at is an ancestral lens so the favorite people I like to talk to are the age group 90 to 99 you know I love talking about what they ate when they grew up what did your mom make you when you were five six years old and you know what? If we know that information, we should bring it back to the table in 2021. Oh, learn from history. It learn, reminds me of Yeah, that. <laughs> exactly. Learn from history. Fascinating. So, I, that's an incredible way to look at it. Yeah. So what, what's the secret sauce to longevity? <laughs> so metabolic health is connected to aging. How well we age also has to do with how healthy we are metabolically. Not just looking at our glucose numbers with the yearly physical but looking at the other numbers as well and taking ratios. And that tells me or should tell the physician as well how you're doing. But many times you get a blood test done and no one ever gets back to you, right? (laughs) You're like, okay, what do these numbers really mean? Well, that's what happened to me years ago where I had my blood test and the doctor's like, yeah, 
you know, your cholesterol's high, but we're not going to worry about it now. Maybe in your 40s, we'll put you on statins. Really? So my job these days has become to educate people. I just want to educate people. I want to give them the tools to manage their biomarkers, to stay metabolically healthy. And what does it mean to be metabolically healthy? Well, I would love to see the triglycerides to be under 150. I want to see a blood pressure around 120. Um, the same goes for the waist. The waist on women should be around 88 centimeters or a 35. It's like 34.6 inches for women. So mm -hmm. just measure your waist above the belly button. And if that is around 35, you're golden. So blood pressure, triglycerides, your waist, your glucose, your fasting glucose numbers, maybe your A1C numbers. Want to look at metabolic markers that the physician can measure with the yearly physical that's covered by insurance. Granted, yeah. there's some other tests out there one can do, but they're not necessary because we're always thinking, well, would a hundred year old person do these tests? No, they wouldn't, right? These days yeah. we overtest and overstress yeah. over test results. But metabolic health are these numbers, for example, mm -hmm. or can you go for 14, 15, 16 hours without food, without getting agitated, angry, and yelling at everyone. That's another yeah. indicator. So how are you doing in regards to not sitting on a carbohydrate IV drip? You'll be That's surprised. So many people need their carbs around the clock because they've gotten wow. so used to it. And the reason why that is these days is because we have accustomed them since the late 70s to eat this way. And so we think we're metabolically healthy because our doctor always says, yeah, we're going to monitor you. We're going to watch you. Till what? Till I have a diagnosis? I don't want to have a diagnosis. Not yet. Maybe when I'm 85, you can diagnose me with something. But don't start when I'm 45, you know. Yeah. So there's so many factors that contribute to people having a very unhealthy metabolic health, health life. What would you say is a big indicator? And when did you think it start to change here in America? Um overall like would you say it had something to do with the food pyramid have to do with anything in history that's big so it started um <laughs> prior to the war you know we had our classical american food you know eggs steak bacon you know protein fat rich meals and then in 1955, President Eisenhower got a heart attack and he was out of the Oval Office for 10 days. And the nation was wondering, oh, wow, heart attack. My goodness, how can I prevent getting a heart attack? Let's dig around. And so, you know, there were lots of philosophies, hypotheses out there. Some of them said, oh, it's the car exhaust. Oh, it could be, mm, yeah, it could be the fat, the butter, the eggs, the cheese. Yeah, 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 we're eating way too much of that. And so there was this research scientist from the University of Minnesota named Ansel Keys, and he was, he had a very powerful voice, let's put it this way. He pushed his way around in the research community, and he did a seven-country study where he went to Europe, and he basically investigated what people were eating and what they were dying of and how the health was. And he actually looked at 23 countries, but he only published the results of six countries because that kind of fit his hypothesis. And he mm -hmm. published this in 1961. Okay. And he said, well, saturated fat, eggs, meat, cheese, bad, not good. So let's think about changing how we're eating. 
So he basically got recruited by the American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association, and they were fixing a food pyramid uh -huh. together, what we should eat as a nation now. And that's how in 1977, the official food pyramid came into place, which wow. if you remember on the bottom, it yeah. was the plant-based carbs, right? And it's this huge strip, right? First thing in the morning, toast and tea. <laughs> it's plant-based, yeah. right? Wheats are plants, so it's plant-based, but it leaves you hungry, right? I mean, as you know, our kids get fed six, seven, eight times a day. And if you think about 100 years ago, could we afford to eat six to eight times a day or even four times a day? No, we had to work, right? There was no time to be sitting down for snacks all the time. So what changed? That's what changed the way we're eating these days. We're eating about 35% less eggs, less butter, less meat. And so what's the solution to reversing the bad effects of the food pyramid? <laughs> so I love educating people because, you know, I did my research in your lab and you're not really educating people unless you go to conferences, right? And then I went into teaching where I taught microbiology to nursing students and dental students and pre-medical. Everyone who went into the um, medical field had to go through my microbiology coursework. And I really loved educating the kids, not just on the basic material that was required by law from the book, but also from outside. I will pull in articles and we'll have little discussions about multi-resistant strains in hospitals. Where do they come from? You know, why we're impregnating shopping carts with antimicrobials on the handles. Is this really a good idea? You know, we would talk about endocrine disruptors because I did my research on endocrine disruptors. We'll talk about soft plastic. We'll talk about the ink on... Um, your, the receipt from the grocery store. We talk about so many things, not just microbiology, because endocrine disruptors do play a role in your body as well and do affect your microbiome. Yeah. So how do I call myself? <laughs> um, probably a research scientist in regards to reversing chronic conditions. And the chronic condition, most people think it's normal. This is part of being, let's call it 40 years old. You have migraines, you have headaches. No, it's not normal. You know, if you talk to previous generations, that was rare if somebody had diabetes in the village, meaning everybody knew of one person in the village that had diabetes, but I was one person. Now you have a classroom with 32 kids. There's at least one or two with diabetes or asthma. And these are all inflammatory conditions, too much inflammation all the time. And that's easy to fix. But I think the key is to educate moms first because they're in charge of feeding the family, feeding the kids. So if we can educate the moms, we'll do a much better job with the kids later on. Because when they're teenagers, hopefully they'll make better choices. I mean, I don't know what choices my son will make in 10 years. But I talk to him daily about this and that. We talk about the brain yeah. and the fat and depression and this and that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so educating people, bringing that information out there is so critical. And not having You're absolutely right. the government put out these charts. Because how do they know our bodies? You know, my ancestral genes come from Northern Europe. I don't do so well with a vegetarian or vegan diet. I tried it. I tried vegan and vegetarian. I tried building muscle and nothing worked. <laughs> so I had to So do you believe, yeah, I know you tend to eat, like you said, the butter, the meats. Then you have people that are like vegans or vegetarian. Do you think you should eat according to your genetic makeup? Or do you feel like there's one way that we could all eat and we'd all be healthy? 
There's not, there's not okay. one way for all of us. Absolutely not. I mean, people who have genes from China or India should definitely eat very differently than people from Northern oh, yeah. Europe. Yeah. Definitely. Or if you come from Haiti or so, what your genes are used to, because you're bathing your genes every single day in the nutrients you're taking in and absorbing. You bathe your genes in everything, whether you're inhaling cigarette smoke or a car smoke or whatever you're inhaling or doing to yourself, you're bathing your genes with it. And your genes respond to that, either in a negative way or in a positive way. So that's why it's important to know where you come from. But then there are some people, like my husband's family, they have Chinese, Native American in them. It's just hodgepodge. What do you do with them, yeah. right? Oh, that's fascinating. It's very fascinating. So I always say, try something for 30 days. Try vegetarian for 30 days. Try vegan for 30 days. Try everything 30 days. And take notes. Take notes what you ate. What is your energy like? What is your mood like? How do you sleep? And how do you poop? If you know these four things on a daily basis, you know what plan is for you. Ooh, so, I love that. And that's simple. I love simple, simple yeah. <laughs> directions. Wow, you're right, because a lot of people, especially here in the States, right, yeah. in the U.S., are a hodgepodge. Hodgepodge, yeah. <laughs> for example, um, a couple months ago, I had a gentleman sign up with me who, super fit guy, super fit, lifts weights, runs, cardio, and his daughter said to him, Dad, let's do veganism. And Dad says, sure, honey, let's do that together. So they did it for about a year, and the daughter's still doing it, but the dad kept saying man, I really miss some chicken and some steak. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm trying so hard, honey, but I don't know why dad really wants a steak. Oh, wow. And so I said to him, you know what? If your body says you want a steak, have a steak. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't follow something so strict. Go with your, I'm not going to say cravings because then people go into the chocolate and sugar and cookie wagon because that's a very dangerous wagon to be in. Yeah. Really hard to pull people out of that. Yeah. But if you crave steak, or fish, have it. Yeah. You know? That's interesting. Because I always stayed away from red meat because I was like, oh, maybe red meat's not good for me. Same here. And same here. Yeah. Same here. Same for me. And I was trying to build muscle mass so hard for years because I feel, so there are a couple organs no one ever talks about. Number one, fat is an organ. Your adipose tissue is an organ and it's spitting out inflammatory chemicals nonstop. So the more you have, the more you inflamed you are. That's number one. Oh, no wonder. Oh, the wow. other organ is muscle. The more muscle mass you have, the better you will age because you're not going to be as frail and fall and break something, right? Because strong bones means lots of muscle mass. Strong bones are not necessarily milk consumption. Because in Asia, they don't drink milk. They don't drink cow milk. Yeah. They have strong bones and they live into their hundreds, right? Wow. Ever thought about yeah. that? That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think of it in that way. Exactly. Yeah. I, so I have been eating red meat and I feel, and I like it <laughs> and it feels good. But once in a while, like I crave like a really good steak with some greens. Yes. Like, so. Exactly. So there is not one diet for everyone. And sometimes people do something for six months because they feel like it and I let them do it. And then they go back to what the usual routine is heavy on the protein and the fat and it's not keto. I don't really like keto so much because people become obsessed with keto desserts and keto snacks from the grocery store. That is not natural either. Yeah. So then they take it out of proportion and they create their own little keto world diet. And then they're wondering why they're gaining weight all of a sudden. I'm like, 
yeah, nobody said that yeah. these keto cups. And people always ask me, can you send me some keto recipes? And I realized when I was going through my recipe binder, I have tons and tons of keto dessert recipes. I'm like, I ripped them all out. I'm like, no more, no more, no more. I'm going to pull everyone out of sugar. <laughs> because they just want the sweetness, but keto sweetness. And that's not good either. And that's like the big thing right now, the big trend. <laughs> the big trend. I yeah. think keto, I mean, keto has been around for a long time, since the 1920s. It was used as an epileptic treatment. When you had epilepsy, they treated you with therapeutic keto. Because when you oh think goodness. about it, when there is a fire in your brain, when there is inflammation in your brain, what do you have? You have pain. Whenever there's a fire in your body, you have pain. Painful joints, ankles, knees, painful head, migraine, headache. That's inflammation. That's a fire going on. And so when you remove the carbohydrates, not just the processed one on the bottom of the pyramid, we're also talking about rice and potatoes. When you remove those as well, that's when you have a therapeutic ketogenic diet. But that's for therapeutic reasons. That's for therapeutic reasons. Yes. I see the difference. Yeah. Wow. So it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's really strict and hard to follow. But kids sometimes have to do that. If you have a child that has epileptic seizures, guess what? That will be your lifelong diet, therapeutic keto. Wow. That's incredible information. Yeah. My mom was epileptic. Oh. Yeah. She was very epileptic. And I think her last attack was when she was like 26. Mm -hmm. So um, I should be like, mom, <laughs> you, maybe you should do a little keto so your epilepsy doesn't come back. <laughs> so what's interesting is um, anyone over the age of 50 is really hard to change them because they're set in their habits based on the pyramid. I'm not kidding you. Everyone follows the pyramid to the T. They could have diabetes. They could have high blood pressure, but they're following the food pyramid. And I would often take that picture and I said, well, let's put it on its head. What do you see now? And they're like, uh, the bread's up there. I'm like, right. If you're still hungry after steak and eggs and you really want to have a slice of toast, have it. But I can guarantee you, you're not going to be hungry after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but as you said, because you mentioned your mom, right? My mm -hmm. mom is hard to change. She knows everything best. My dad, is, uh, he'll listen to it, but he'll stick to his own guns based on what he has tried. No, because he's 83. When you're 83, by now you've figured out how to eat, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the next thing, what is hormone dysregulation? So the way our body reads food is via hormones, not calories. I know they always put calories on the package for people to read. Where I'm going, why are you reading that? It depends what's inside in regards to fat, protein, and carbs. Because that's what your body is reading, seeing, sensing. And these are the kind of hormones that are being elevated. So when carbohydrates come in, insulin goes up. And you want insulin mm. to go up and to go down. Because insulin yeah. is an anabolic hormone. It's a hormone that makes you build, grow things. So when you're a kid, it's great, right? Because you want to mm -hmm. grow. But when you're an adult, you don't want to be growing because you're done growing upwards. You'll be growing sideways, right? Horizontal. Oh, so that's why I'm saying, you know, insulin regulates the other hormones as well, including estrogen and progesterone and all these other growth factor hormones. But we have hormones for protein satiety. We have hormones for fat satiety. So we have different hormones that come on the scene based on what type of food comes in. So if wow. protein comes in, it's really hard to overeat protein. Ever tried to eat a really big piece of steak? 
Yeah. It's hard yeah. to overeat, right? People <laughs> not yeah, you're right. Your body will well. just be like, I'm full. And you know where that yeah. comes from? Hormones. There's a hormone called leptin. Leptin comes on the scene out of your fat cells, goes to your hypothalamus and your brain and says, hello, I'm full. Stop eating. The reason why I'm big on protein is for muscle mass, because I want to make sure as I'm hitting my 50s, I want to have as much muscle as I can, because it's really hard to build muscle mass after the age of 45, meaning you have to work really hard, not just resistance training, but also upping the protein. And the reason why they're big on protein these days is because we need actually a lot more protein what the recommended daily allowances are. And the reason why we need more is because we're not very efficient in absorbing it as well. So as we get older, our absorption rate for protein decreases. Thus, we need to increase the quantity we consume per sitting. I see. Yeah. Wow. That's so great information. I love that you're big on eating for the season. Yes. So I grew up actually in communism. And in communism, you eat whatever the land gave you. And if it was summertime, you had your berries whatever fruits you planted yourself, either in your garden plot or in your balcony. That's it. <laughs> wow. Right. And yeah. when the berry season was over, then it was the apple season and you get your apples and you're done. And then it's winter. Well, what do you eat in the winter? Right. Eat your radishes, anything that's in the ground. So mm-hmm. there are no blueberries for brain health available in the winter, but people still did well and were not overweight and didn't have the diabetic numbers. So eating with the season means you don't eat the sugar-laden fruits, which have gotten bigger, by the way, over the last, I don't know, 60, 70 years, our blueberries went from itty tiny peppercorns to these huge marbles. And the hugeness just represents more sugar, more fructose. And when you eat a cup of this and a cup of that, next thing you know, you have a lot of carbohydrates in the form of fructose. And wow. the body says, sure, no problem, I'll process it. You know how it gets processed? It gets stored for the upcoming harsh winter. So we don't have these harsh winters anymore where we need to tap into a fat reserves that we have stored up in the summer. I mean, that's what bears do, right? They wake up from hibernation, they go out in nature and they eat and they eat and they plump up again so they can go back in their winter sleep. Mm-hmm. So fruits are great for helping you prepare for these really harsh conditions, but we don't have these harsh conditions anymore. Mm-hmm. So we should only eat what's in season. You're going to say, well, Arizona, it's warm all the time here. Does it mean I can't have blueberries and raspberries all the time? No, (laughs) because your genes are not from Arizona. You know, your genes should probably also eat from the fruit palate that you had from your ancestry. And also try it out. I mean, the biggest trend these days are these continued glucose monitors that people wear in their arm. And then based on what you eat, it shows you your numbers. So one person may do great eating blueberries, meaning their insulin spike is mediocre and then comes down again. The next person will have an insulin spike for hours and it won't come down. Wow. So that means that person should stay away from the blueberries. So eating with the season means, what are we now? We're in March. We have our grapefruits and we have our oranges. Is this the time to eat them? Even though you're from Northern Europe? <sighs> Not, but we have them in our garden, right? Mm-hmm. So I just have one or two. I don't overdo it. And not every yeah. day, just because I am aware of these things, you know, then I have to cut other carbs out. You know? Yeah. And I think I feel like a lot of Europeans do that too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You're European, you're German, but you Bulgarian, I don't want to mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you are my, good, yeah. Very good memory. My mom, she's Bulgarian and my dad is German and the Bulgarians are actually an agricultural society. 
a lot of fruits and vegetables just because they're in Southern Europe. Mm-hmm. And so they don't eat as much meat as the Northern Europeans do. So my mom is big on fruits and vegetables, but you kind of have to change your diet based on how old you are. What you ate in your 20s, you shouldn't eat in your 30s and you shouldn't eat in your 40s just because as you get older, you need less energy because you're not reproducing mm-hmm. anymore. You're done reproducing, right? No, that's a good way to look at it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest. I'm not going to eat very much. So that means I can't get off the bed. <laughs> I need a massage. Actually, you do. I had my massage yeah. yesterday. I do that once a week. So yeah. I love that. So I know you're big about self-care. What do you feel is really good for just preventing aging and staying healthy, like mind, body, and soul, you know? Right. My favorite thing is keeping the lymphatic system moving because every single day we're pumping toxins into the lymph fluid and the lymph fluid doesn't get pumped. It doesn't have a muscle, anything for moving it around and out eventually. So for the majority of my clients, my tips need to be free or cost effective. Mm -hmm. I can't recommend treatments that are expensive because I don't do them. Why Mm -hmm. should they? And so dry brushing is my favorite. A dry brush is about $7 from TJ Maxx, right? Dry brushing. It's actually fun to do it. Even in the wintertime, you just lock yourself in the smallest bathroom in the house and you do that. That's my favorite. Um, If you have a little rebounder or trampoline at home, just bounce around in it for 10 minutes, like three times a day. Nothing fancy, nothing wild. And you know what? Afterwards, you feel amazing because you moved all your lymph fluid out, right? And now you got to drink a lot and pee it out. So it's great. Yeah. So dry brushing is my favorite, trampolining, and then massages as much as you can. I mean, I do them once a week. Um, and I tell my massage therapist, I always go to the same person what exactly I want. I want more reflexology than just massage. I say, do mm-hmm. gallbladder and liver on my feet. And sometimes he can't find the points. I'm like, it's up to the left because I have. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I have I'm a- bringing you with me. I'm like, She's coming to my massage yeah. session with me. She's going to tell you where to. <laughs> I love that. You know, um, so if you don't do a massage, you can also do it on your hands. You know, your hands has the Ooh. same meridians for your organs as mm-hmm. your feet do, or same with your ears, same with Ooh. your face. So I often massage my hands, you know, not because I'm nervous or so, but because I like to do gallbladder and certain points, you know, thymus for immune system health, stuff like this. I like to do myself at home. It needs to be something that's not expensive and time consuming. I mean, this can be done in the car wheel sitting at an intersection. I love that. See, these are the things that people need to hear. What's not expensive, simple. We've had the conversation about parents. Uh, feed their kids differently than they feed themselves. You know, I had so many friends where the play dates were always about, oh, I'm going to cook for my son this and my daughter this and my husband this. And I'm like sitting there, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to go home and dry brush. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go home and massage my hand. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So teach your kids early on to eat the same food as you will. And then when you go to a restaurant, they don't eat the kitty menu with this bland food. I know it's it's an insult, right? You know what? I will admit I'm one of those moms that fed everyone a different meal. I'm grateful that you're reminding me of really this lifestyle that's not good. It doesn't serve my kids. No, no. I mean, catering to them, the world later on will not cater to them the way we moms and even dads cater to them when they're younger. The world is pretty brutal out there. And then then they actually are in their early 20s and then they actually sense how different they are and then they have anxiety and depression because they're trying to fit in and everyone is so different from them, right? Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's just a cascade. Yeah. 
diabetes is getting younger and younger and younger. I mean, in the early 30s, and they're not even overweight. You know, you can be a skinny diabetic. You can be a skinny heart attack person, right? It doesn't need to be overweight. You know, it about goes back to the food pyramid. Is there anything else that you feel you want to share or anything that you want our audience to hear or know? Sure. Um, I would love for people to look at their last physical and look at the triglycerides and the cholesterol. And most of my friends don't have to measure their waist. I mean, most of them are under 35 inches, but I was a toffee, thin on the outside, fat on the inside person. So Ooh, a lot of- I love that word, toffee. A toffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna write that down. Because my cholesterol numbers were always between 250 and 300, even when I was 21 years old. Wow. And my triglycerides okay. were high. But the doctors never said anything to me in my 20s. And whenever I had migraines or headaches, they're like, well, it's part of being a woman. No, it's not. There's something you can do about it, and it has to do with food. But nobody tells you these things. So whenever you think it's normal to have sleeping problems, to have PCOS, to have migraines, it's not normal. So these are the moments when people should start thinking about what can I change, not just food-related, but also how I sleep. Because people say, oh, I sleep fine. And then I hear, well, they got two dogs in their bed and the kids come in and out at night in bed. I'm like, that's not sleeping fine, you know? So whenever people look at some of their um, blood test results and they're like, well, I don't know. My triglycerides are kind of high. My cholesterol is high. Just, you know, have them give me a call or text me and we'll come up with a program to better things. And the irony is a lot of times people come for weight loss to me and next thing you know, they don't have migraines anymore. They're sleeping better, but I haven't lost a pound, but they're less inflamed and they have yeah. so many other better functioning systems. Yeah. Their joints are not aching anymore or they can poop regular. That was pretty rare for them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. That's so impactful. People don't like to say it, say it. Everybody does it. It's important to get estrogen out, actually. Did you know that? When the estrogen dominance, they're more prone to painful periods, longer bleeds, mm -hmm. sore breast tissue, including breast cancer growth. Wow. So you don't want a lot of estrogen yeah. inside of you. And that goes back to my research of the endocrine disruptors, the xenoestrogen, the foreign estrogens from the mm -hmm. environment. When they're inside your body and dock onto the receptors on your cells, your cells don't know, is this my own estrogen or is this a foreign estrogen? They both oh, dock on goodness. and they both manipulate the cell. And when I say, <sighs> say manipulate the cell, they make it grow, 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 grow. So you're growing a lot oh, of cells. Xenoestrogen, foreign estrogens. The foreign estrogen. The foreign estrogens, parabens, phthalates, BPAs, you know, cans that align with BPA. The ink on newspaper, the ink on receipts, plastic, soft plastics, you know, the water bottles that you get from Costco. It's soft plastic. Well, what do you know? It's leaching into the water, especially when you leave your plastic bottle in the car in the summer, yeah. right? The heat warms yeah. up the plastic, leaches into the water, you drink it. And guess what? Where these chemicals get stored by your body? In your fat tissue. Because the body wants to get rid of these toxins, goes, what's this? I don't recognize it. I can't detox it. Fat. Wow. So, yeah, I know. That's what I did my research on for many, many years at the university. We were looking at uh, estrogens and metabolites of estrogen decomposition in drinking water and soil samples. 
because 60% of LA's water is reclaimed water, recycled water. So you're getting a lot of estrogen metabolites in that water. Oh my goodness. That's <laughs> awful to think about. No, there isn't much we can do about it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. We cannot change the environment. It will always be heavy on computers and iPhones and chemicals, mm -hmm. but we can work on detoxing our body, helping our body out a little bit more. So tell us about that. You know, all my new clients that yeah. come to me come because they have a lot of inflammation going on. And to tap down inflammation, we really got to regulate insulin. And you only regulate insulin when you bring down the carbs and the sugars. And that includes a healthy beverage like kombucha. The kombucha, a lot of people reported two things. Number one, their digestion was better. Because starting around the age of 40, our stomach acid decreases. We just secrete less stomach acid. And we need the stomach acid to digest protein because if we're not digesting protein properly, we're not getting anything out of that protein. We think we just had good protein. We should have digested it, but we didn't because we didn't have enough acid. So I always tell people, have some kombucha before your meal, but make sure it's the sour kombucha or have some apple cider vinegar or have something acidic before your meal or put something acidic over your food like vinegar or sprinkle lemon juice and lime. Something living all the time, living food basically that gives you energy via microbes. Because the energy yeah. you experience comes from the microbes. And mitochondria are ancient microbes that reside within us, right? They just hitch right, right with us. So if you feed your microbes well, they'll give you the yeah. energy and the good mood you need. They give you That's diversity. Incredible. You are amazing in <laughs> a million ways. Oh. I want to ask you my three little ending questions. It's like my little tradition. Yes. Okay. So the first question I have, what is the best advice you had ever been given in your life? Um, yeah, there are several of them actually, but the best advice that I understand now, which I didn't understand 20, 30 years ago is, um, Teaching kids skills at home is more valuable than giving them an inheritance. And I see that everywhere. You know, you can inherit a kid three million, but they have no tools, no, no skills, right? They don't know how to repair something. They don't know how to fix food. Because having all your food delivered can be very expensive, right? Mm -hmm. So if your kids know how to eat, how to feed themselves and eventually their family later on, how to repair little things here. And I'm not asking them to become professional construction workers, but just little things here. And if you can teach mm -hmm. them skills, including how to balance a checkbook, how to do savings, that's worth so much more than any money and property that they will get down the road. So that's, that's one incredible advice. Yeah. I love that. That's incredible. Now I understand I, it. You know, to yeah. me, I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. You're right. Um, and the second question, what's your favorite quote? Um, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man how to fish, feeds them for the rest of their life. Ooh. And that's back to food. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us about that, what that means to you. So I also offer culinary kitchen discovery classes in my home, right? Where mm -hmm. we prepare typically three to four dishes that are nutrient dense and they get to take them home. And one thing I've learned, which really surprised me, even people in their fifties, they don't know how to cook. They just say, you know what? I grew up with TV dinners with takeout 
I don't really know how to do anything. And I'm like, yeah, right. They're pulling my leg. Now they don't. So we started with simple things, five ingredients or less using a Vitamix a lot, where that's the easiest way to chop, blend, puree yeah. everything, right? Um, so teaching people going back into the kitchen, that has become more helpful than giving them a plan how to eat and when to eat. So culinary classes where I explain the reason behind ingredients, why we're mixing this with that and not with this. I do that as well, as well as digging through people's pantry. <clears throat> yeah, That's also Ooh. my favorite thing. Sometimes my friends would have me come over and says, oh, Georgetta, would you like to look through my pantry? I'm like, why? Well, <laughs> <laughs> and then I do, and I'm like, well, who bought all these things? Oh, oh that's my husband. I'm like, well, if you've got something like this in the home, that's not a good idea because somebody's tapping into that not, not so good food. And that's typically the husband. Yeah. Right? Yep. So if you want to mm -hmm. be truly successful with the whole household, because everyone needs to be on board. We can't just do a program for the wife and then the husband is eating Cheetos and Snicker bars. Yeah. You know, oh, like, you're right. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. they both need to be on board. And so both of them typically come to my cooking class and both of them are there when I do the pantry makeover with them and both of them hear it and understand it. And then the last one, what's your favorite book? So in 1997, that's when I was in grad school, um, I had to read the book um, Silent Spring by Sally Fallon, which is a publication from 1962. And it talked about the feminization of fish. So back to these environmental xenoestrogens that are being pumped out into the lakes and rivers and creeks by the wastewater treatment industry. And these chemicals that mimic estrogen in both genders of fish turned the male fish into female fish. So you had feminization of male fishes and the fish population went down. So she writes about that in her book. It's called Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. It's a pure um, nerd book. Incredible. Yeah, yeah but like, that's, who yeah. knew about that? <laughs> you know, they holy have, cow. yeah, holy cow, big time. Because when you think about a wastewater treatment plant has to process all the drugs that we unfortunately put into our toilets, all the drugs that we consume and pee and poo out, right? They all go through the wastewater treatment plant and they all get disintegrated into other compound structures but they still end up in the environment, whether it's the soil or the water. And it affects the wow. environment. And in this case, it was the fishes. Very interesting. So that's one book I really enjoyed. Um, and after that, I became a little paranoid. You know, analysis leads to paralysis. That was definitely me. <laughs> Ever heard of that? Analysis leads to yeah, paralysis, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And then the second one was gifted to me when my son was born. And that's called Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon. And Nourishing Ooh, Tradition, nourishing. the title itself says it all. And it has tons of recipes. And these are recipes how folks 100 to 200 years ago prepared their quinoa, prepared their liver pate, prepared their raw meat. It's just how they prepared food. And some of these processes took days. Like, did you know you have to soak your um, nuts in, in a brine solution overnight? Next day, you strain them and you dry them and then you can eat them to get rid of anti-nutrients wow. found on the outside of the nut. I didn't know that prior to the birth of my son. Yeah. I learned it via that book. Big, big eye-opener. It's all about traditional food, how our ancestors ate. 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Georgetta Dolphin. For show notes and more information about this podcast, you can visit www.teresacaesar.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and tell your friends about this podcast. I'll be back in two weeks.